Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. We are a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Today is Friday, December 23rd, 2022. This is edition number 17 of season 7. We are working our way through the the book of Joshua. We're coming very close now. We have two more editions remaining after today's edition, where we'll deal with chapters 23 and 24 of the book on Monday and Tuesday of next week. And then I will be taking a break from the devotional until January 9th, when I begin season 8, working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith. I trust to do that, trust to do it in such a way that it is uh, not only instructive theologically, but also helpful pastorally um, as we seek to understand um, further uh, that historic document of the Christian church and Presbyterianism and the Reformed faith. And so that'll begin on January 9th, season 8. Um, and so stay tuned for more information about that as we go forward. Today we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 22, a rather interesting chapter in the narrative, but let's pray first and then we'll consider briefly uh, this chapter together this morning. Our God in heaven, as we approach your word, once again, we approach it with humility. We approach it with the confidence that you have promised to teach us in your word by your spirit who penned these things for our good. We know that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to discern the thoughts and intentions and motives of our hearts. We know that it is breathed out by you, and it is a profitable thing for us to study your word, even this portion of it. And so we ask that you would give us grace and guidance now, that you would forgive us for our sins and our transgressions, the, way, the ways we fall short of your glory. May you be merciful to us, and we thank you for the ways in which you are faithful to us, even when we are faithless, for not treating us as we deserve but pouring out your love and kindness to us on a daily basis. Help us now, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we come to chapter 23, or chapter 22 of Joshua, and here we note that this is now, as the the land has had rest, the inheritance has been given to the different tribes of the people of God, the Levites have have been given their allotments, Caleb has been satisfied as the faithful one who stood with Joshua, in the book of Numbers, and did not perish with the first generation of the people of old, we now here find the eastern tribes returning uh, to their land. You remember in the beginning of the book, they were instructed, though they were going to remain on the eastern side of the river, the Jordan River, they were instructed to work labor and to fight alongside their brothers on the western side, the Transjordan, the western side of the Jordan. And they have done that. They have been obedient. They have kept their word, and they have done what they said they would do, and now they would like to return home. And this is precisely what they're going to do. And so we read in the opening lines of the chapter, at that time Joshua summoned summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents 
in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. And so they are commended for their faithfulness. Then we come to verse 5, a very interesting situation. Uh, echoing in their ears will result from these things. In verse 5 we read, Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that, the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all, of his, in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went to their tents. And so here they are rewarded with, because of their faithfulness. They have been obedient and they have been blessed by Joshua as those who labored alongside their brothers. But then something happens. Something happens as the words of Joshua are still just echoing in their, in their ears. Something happens that plunges or has the potential to plunge the entire nation into into misery. And here's what happens. Now, the, now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with much, very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh. Now, Shiloh, remember, is the place of worship at this time. That will change to Jerusalem later, but right now it is Shiloh. That is the, where the tent of meeting, the tabernacle is erected. It's the place of worship for the nation. So go to the land of Gilead, their own land, which they are, are the, the Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And so they do that. But as they go to their homes, they do something that appears initially to be wrong. Here's what they do. When they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built uh, the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of, about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. When the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. It appears on the surface, based on the information that the people have, that the two and a half tribes have committed a great transgression. They've erected a high place or a worship, a place of worship that is not at Shiloh. It is somewhere else. This isn't direct disobedience to God's directives and the words of Joshua echoing in their ear to keep all the law of God. And here they erect this altar and it appears that they have gone off the reservation. They have done with what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And they do this act. So the people are going to respond. And they're going to respond because they recognize that this is, has the potential of being the very judgment of God against them. And so they People of Israel, verse 13, the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of 
Israel, every one of them, the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and every one of them, the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, to the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and from which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. And so it appears, at least on the surface, that the people have rebelled. But notice how wisely the people dealing with this apparent sin work to understand the situation. Now, the eastern tribes have returned to their land, and now there's a confrontation, this construction of this altar, this misunderstanding that results from it. And so they come to investigate, to resolve the matter. They reference some places, of course, they mention Achan and his sin and how it brought great damage against the people and they lost the battle at Ai. They also mention this, this, this sin at Peor, which is referenced, of course, in Numbers 25. And so they make reference to these things as... as uh, as uh, exhibits of their argument that if you continue and persist in disobedience, the judgment of God is going to fall against the entire nation. But you see, sometimes things are not as they seem. In fact, when I was in seminary, my pastor would often tell me, as I was a young seminary student, young ministerial candidate, young in ministerial experience, not necessarily young in years, but he would often tell me that things are seldom as they seem. You see, they go, they go to investigate. In some sense, they're leaving room for another response, another answer as to what they are doing. Because on the surface, it looks like they've sinned. It looks like they've done what is wrong and evil in God's sight. But the fact remains that they did not, in fact, do that. People of Reuben, verse 21, the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows and let Israel know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan the boundary between us and you. You people of Reuben and the people of Gad, you have no portion in the land. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion 
in the Lord. And so they build this altar, not to be in rebellion, but as a memorial, as a reminder, not only to them, but also to the people, that they are still united to them. They are not seeking to supplant the worship center of God at Shiloh. They are not seeking to do any of the things that have been commanded not to do. They are to do these things at the tent of meeting, at the tabernacle that's located there at Shiloh. They fir- they fully full, fully aware of these things. The purpose of the altar is to remind them of their connection to the body and the body to them because of the proximity given and the barriers established by the Jordan River. Put a different way, they did an honorable thing. Now on the surface it looked like great rebellion, but not until investigation, until an investigation did the people see that it really was not what it appeared. And in fact, at the end of the chapter, the resolution comes when Phineas the high priest, and this is verse 30, when Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phineas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. All this being said, brothers and sisters, there are going to be times in your life when you're dealing with another brother and sister when you think you know everything. You think you know all the facts. You think you have all of the information. You're not leaving any room. You're not giving the benefit of the doubt because, frankly, you don't know everything. Even as an elder in the church, as a pastor, and as I work with my elders on matters that affect the church and appearances and things that happen, we are called upon sometimes to investigate matters and to deal in a righteous way. But we are always conscious of the fact that we don't know everything. We seek up front to give as much benefit of the doubt to the individual as insofar as we're able. We recognize that there are going to be many things that we do not know, and many things that we will never know. And so we seek to be patient, and we seek to be kind, and we seek to give as much room as possible to the apparent offender for fear that we might judge wrongly. Here, the people, they judged wrongly up front, but not until they investigated, not until they asked questions, not until they got involved in the matter did they realize that they had misunderstood the intentions of their brothers. And oftentimes, in dealing with one another in the church, one of the reasons why the tension sometimes forms between two people or groups of people, when when, uh, offenses arise within the church between a person, a two or two people, or groups of people, oftentimes it's because of misunderstanding. It's not because real sin has actually been committed. It's not because some real transgression against God's law has been has been offered against another person. It's oftentimes a misunderstanding. But yet we are too quick, and we ought not be, to draw conclusions and to jump to the end of the story before we even really know the whole story. We need to be careful that we don't do those things. We need to take this lesson here given to us in this chapter and we need to apply it into our daily life and walk within the confines of the church to keep peace within the body of Christ. 
Here's one of the lessons, of course, that comes from this rather interesting chapter given to us in the narrative. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Monday edition, when we look at Joshua chapter 20, uh, Joshua uh, chapter uh, 23, may the Lord help you today to serve him. God bless.